Hello and welcome to another episode of Oconus the Contractor's Life, an unscripted, free-flow, no-axe-to-grind podcast that explores the often murky and secretive world of overseas private security contracting and the private contracting world as a whole, told by the men and women who've been there and done it. We are unabashedly American and patriotic. From the foothills of Northwestern Washington, folks, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. My guest for this episode is Greg Hesch. You may recall him from an earlier episode. In fact, he was the first to raise his hand and the first guest on the inaugural episode. And I am quite pleased to have him back for another round of discussions. Uh, Greg's a former member of the U.S. Air Force, private security contractor, paramedic, wild land firefighter. Um, Many endeavors outside the security industry. He joins me today from his uh, small piece of paradise. in the state of New Mexico. Greg, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you doing, Scott? Glad <laughs> to be here again. Awesome. Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Um, it's a pleasure to have you back on, and I'm, uh, I'm grateful for you taking the time and uh, uh, the effort to uh, come back and talk with me again. Uh, what do you think of my groovy new music, man? You like that? I love it. I think it's a great jam. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, so f- uh, for the folks that are listening, um, that's, uh, that is original score music. Uh, Andre, uh, out of Argentina, I'll get his name here later, but uh, he deserves uh, huge credits for that, so I thank him for that. Uh, so, Greg, my friend, um, you've, you're a man of many talents and many experiences. Um, so for the folks that are listening who maybe um, – haven't heard you um, or don't know who you are uh, would you mind briefly recapping um, your, your your background your history some of the things you've done uh, um, prior to becoming a contractor yeah sure uh, started out in um, the US Air Force working for uh, a combat rescue group that actually had a very unique assignment I was actually uh, attached to um, a forward control group, if you will. And we did uh, target acquisition and damage assessment. And I was the medic assigned to uh, such an operation uh, during the time. And then from there, uh, you know, worked as a firefighter for many years um, and have maintained uh, practice as a paramedic and have taken that to Oh, uh, about as far as you can go with it, uh, critical care, medic, flight, medic, uh, you know, just everything I could in there. Um, did the contracting, did a lot of consulting for various projects and security, and uh, with always kind of the medical uh, view to it. So what I mean by that is they were always asking me, can you look at, you know, the medical system for this type of operation or scenario um, being an operator and still maintaining that medical aspect that you bring to a team organization. Cause it's always really important to have that med- medical asset right there with you guys. And then, uh, from there did a lot of time as a wildland firefighter and took that to a high level, uh, task force leaders, strike team leaders, that type stuff, burn bosses and just had a great guys. I worked for a great program that was a veterans program 
And then we opened it up to uh, the civilian uh, population. It was great. Uh, had a great career there and uh, now currently working in a emergency room again, uh, providing uh, direct patient care and uh, some mentoring and managing positions in the emergency department. So that's just kind of a brief summation of my experience with the stuff. <laughs> well, well, well stated. Uh, so when when did you got in and oh, out of the military? Kind of modulated out. Uh oh! Did you not hear me? Can oh. you hear me now? You're yeah. Okay. So you got in the military and then got out. Uh, at what period of time? I was in in the 1980s. I got into the military in 1981, straight out of high school. Uh, went in and uh, did eight years total, um, and that was uh, enough. Uh, <laughs> it was a very interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was an experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. Right. You know, you and I were talking offline about a great many things. Um, and uh, one thing I've asked a number of people, um, and I'm going to ask you, is, you know, your experience and what you've gained, what you now know you've gained um, and got uh having been a member of the United States military, is that something that if a young or younger person were to ask you about, uh, is that something you would uh, recommend or urge them or at least, you know, um, advise them to consider it? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I think today's military is very unique. It's uh, more a select group than what it had been in the past. But during the time that I had served, it started to be that, election process uh especially with the air force they were very stringent on who they were going to accept now the message to the young people out there is if you're interested in something that paves the way in your life um the military is a great entry point and i think it's important for a lot of different reasons because first of all and foremost i think it brings a certain degree of discipline and regimentation to your lifestyle. Hmm. It may not be comfortable making that transition from the comforts of mommy and daddy's home into a military lifestyle, but it sure teaches you very quickly how to become uh, independent. And that independence is something that is going to provide you a world of knowledge as far as experience. And I think in today's world, a lot of times people are looking for that experience, may not necessarily look at, you know, what academic achievement you may have, but they're looking more towards what's your worldly experience? What do you bring to the party? So the military is that entry point uh, for young people uh, to enter in. And it's a safe environment. And what I mean by that is you have, you know, your three squares, you know where you're going to be sleeping. Uh, you have uh, a paycheck coming in, insurances, your health care is de deal dealt with, all that stuff. Um, but you're also going to be provided adventure. And um, if you're smart and you're savvy about it, you'll have some control on how that adventure uh, unfolds for you. <laughs> well articulated, yeah. Yeah. Uh... None of that was tongue in cheek, but but to me, some of it could be a little bit. 
<laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you'll find that out. That's the adventure part. You know, right. you can't give it all away. Right. That'll let you stuff on your own, and, and you will. And uh, it'll just enrich your experience. To, uh, you'll have more more things to tell your grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but and I and there's a lot of uh, good points in that. But I think that the the thing that um, you know, and it's just me. So, and I'm not. I'm just you know, like it comes up frequently with me and and at least one of my children. And it's like, you know, yeah, I understand because you know that person frequently complains about the bs and it's like well you know that's life and you know 10 years from now 20 years from now uh you might still think the same thing but you will look at it in a totally different light you know uh just rise above it get through it but uh i think i think that's good um and i'm glad to hear that um so you when you got out in what 89 or 90 uh let's see i got out in 80 the end of 88 okay end of okay so when you got out uh what was it what was it like for you at that time and what were you thinking uh when you made your choice to become whatever you did next um wow it was uh kind of a uh rough transition <clears throat> Going from what I, you know, had uh, stated earlier as being a very regimented and uh, very focused lifestyle, a very um, uh, controlled way of doing things into the general population and having all this freedom and autonomy and uh, handed to you so quickly and, and, you know, given back to you, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but the thing that I think one of the, the, the things that the military provided is the ability to recognize one's self strengths and one's need to continually push on, not just sit there and freeze and stare into the headlights. Hmm. So it you a background of being able to enter into that. And for me, it was a pretty easy transition. I just had to take a, a few moments to consider what my options were. And what I really wanted to do. And uh, once that had happened, it was easy to move forward and say, okay, this is the direction. And then with the discipline that, you know, you acquire through a military lifestyle, uh, it's easy to pay goals because you do have a little more discipline going for you. Right. And things were quite a bit different when it came to uh, finding jobs back then, careers, whatever. I mean, back in the late 80s and early, even, you know, for, to a good extent, even through the mid and late nineties, I mean, finding a job was way different than it is now. So, uh, uh-huh. you, you kind of had your work cut out for you. I mean, how long did it take for you to figure out what you wanted to do and, and, and to finally, uh, get into that seat? Well, uh, you know, Scott, I may be a, a horse of a different color, but it didn't take me that long hmm. because like I said, I had some good sit downs with myself and said, okay, what, what's the next step? Okay. And a lot, looking at how to progress through things, I was able to say, well, you know, let me take what I've learned in the military as far as the medical experience. And um, I had to civilianize that learning and that um, experience uh, to a level of civilian interaction because it wasn't military. I couldn't go there and bark stuff out like the doc, you know, because when I was in scenarios, 
that went to shit, all of a sudden we, uh, you know, people turned to me to bring calmness to the chaos and uh, you'd take over and start, you know, telling people this is what needs to be done. And in the civilian world, there, you have to be much more uh, gentle. Uh, <laughs> you have to take a certain degree of political correctness and politeness and suggesting versus commanding. Uh, so it took me a little transition, but uh, at first people looked at me like, God, who's this fanatic, you know? Um, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you still there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, I thought I lost you. <laughs> I just, I had this vision that went through my mind when you said that. Um, so, you know, for for the young, so, so for the men and women, young or older, that are in the military, uh, that are coming up at for whatever reason, retirement or some other reason, they're they're getting out, or they're considering getting out. Um, I hear a lot that you know it's like, well, what you know? How do they? How do they? How how do they navigate this? How do? What do they do? And how do they do it? And when you did it, it was it was a lot different. I mean, that when I say a lot different, the fundamentals are still the same, but the way you go about doing that is different. But and you touch on a couple key things for people that are transitioning or want to transition and, and try to figure it out. Can can you um, maybe uh, elaborate a little bit on some things that you think might be helpful for them to consider uh, in their when they're trying to figure out what they're going to do next when they get out? Um. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, it, it's unique. I'm. I'm one of the older contractors out here uh, that has been doing this for a while. And so everyone always has come to me for a little bit of mentorship and some wisdom and passing on some of my experience, which I've learned as part of the duty of, of being uh, the elder in the group. Uh, so I would say the first thing that's important is to truly have um, some time that you can sit down by yourself and calculate uh, what your vision is for your life. May that be, you know, a financial thing that you want to say, I want to be at this, um, you know, checkpoint at some point in my life of uh, financial security, or is it a service towards others or whatever it is. But you need to come to the rationalization and the actualization of identifying that. Hmm. Then, from there, it may sound kind of cliche, but uh, you definitely need to, to have some foresaw, forethought and foresight into a plan, uh, a plan of action. And for the military person, I think it works best if you have that uh, designed and drafted in front of you, hmm. because that's getting you certain uh, landmarks and goals to achieve. Now, the beauty of it is through the military experience, we all know that we need to remain rigidly flexible because things are going to change. But mm. if you hold on to that vision of what you're trying to obtain, then at least you're keeping the wheels moving forward. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's, that's really important. Any motion forward is still motion, mm. you know? So whatever it is, if you're moving towards your dream, you're going to chip away, chip away, chip away. And then all of a sudden you're going to come to the realization that it's blooming in front of you. Hmm. 
Um, as far as, you know, uh, people going out and getting out of the military and considering a lifestyle in contracting, I think that's a great transition. The reason being is because a contractor's life has a lot of the same regiment uh, assignment to it in the daily activity of this is what we're doing. This is the operational, you know, time frame. Uh, <clears throat> it has a lot of commonality with the uh, military experience. Hmm. Um, I, my experience, Scott, one of the things when I had my fire crew and I was dealing with uh, uh, a group here in New Mexico called the Returning Heroes, and these were veterans. And I was on the very beginning of this. I was on uh, a first few deployments uh, with a group of veterans that were transitioning from military to firefighting. And I learned very quickly that they responded more to the military mindset and the mil military command um, structure of what they had previously experienced. Mm. Mm. I went and tried to teach them out there like uh, some, you know, gentrified new age uh, uh, firefighting engine boss or crew boss uh, where we all, you know, got together and, you know, had shared a group hug and a, a story and passed the feather to speak and stuff. It would have never worked. Uh, it was very well known. One of my sayings is something that we used to use uh, back in Iraq and in the military in my days of, you know, if you step out of line, I'm going to snap a knot in your ass. And they knew exactly. And, uh, you know, and it was funny because in the beginning, there was a little bit of resistance until they finally figured out that I was in a position of command. And after that, it became um, kind of a legacy and historical thing because the older firefighters would turn to the younger guys and they'd tell them right out, you know, they, you know, you step out of line, you go against what Mr. Hesh is saying, he's going to snap a knot in your ass. And they were like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, you'll know when it happens. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow, um, that's funny. That that I'm guessing that phrase goes back to the days when uh, when in uh, what PE or gym class when we used to take our towels and get them a little wet at the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um, so. So, but that's an interesting uh, point you bring up the uh, the regiment, the discipline, uh, you know, the structure. Um, you know, it's, we're not talking for anybody that's got these fanciful notions of uh, goose stepping and you know, um, you know, being yes men. But uh, I think that's something that when people look at their lives and they say, you know, it's not quite the way, it's not working out the way I, I wanted it. And I think the two things that you mentioned are. A, yeah. you didn't have a plan, um, or your plan, you know, changed, and you or you need to change your plan. And then the structure, the the, the discipline, um, you know, getting into a routine, but being flexible. Those are key elements in 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 any of those careers, right? I would say so. I mean, at least that's my experience, and uh, I know we ha I have that shared experience with others. Um, I've seen people get out and unfortunately not come up with a plan. Um, they've, you know, uh, left the service and they end up in this, uh, limbo, if you will, just the state of stasis where they're not moving. And that is, I've, I've never seen this uh, success story come out of that. Hmm. I've always seen that, in, you know, some tragic, uh, either, 
addiction or psychological or, or who knows. It just it just has a tendency to go down the crapper at that point. Uh, but those people that have gotten out and have that intuitive sense of how to keep that uh, progression going, yeah, you know, they're achievers. And I have a lot of young veterans that I worked with and stuff, and I followed and stuff, and I've, I've seen that. Hmm. I've seen those people that have lost the vision and motivation, and they get stuck, and they revert back to old ways, which are not successful. And then I've seen young men and women that have come out of the service and that have uh, had that conversation with themselves and have been able to progress forward uh, quite successfully. Hmm. Uh, but like I said, they've remained fluidly flexible. I've seen a couple of my young vets out there um, that have succeeded, <clears throat> failed, picked themselves back up, gained vision again, and pressed on, and are now successful in what they're doing. Hmm. So we can never hesitate to reinvent ourselves in this business. Right. Um, you know, that's interesting. You uh, um, something mentioned about he picked himself back up. Um, so I, I'm guessing you would probably agree with the assertion that, um, yeah, everybody needs, needs a, needs a helping hand, but you doesn't matter how much help we give. If the person doesn't want it, if they don't want to make the change or do it, it ain't going to happen. So they've got it. There's got to be some sort of desire or driving factor, um, inside them. Right. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that, uh, like I said, if someone has that bearing, what we used to call the military bearing or, you know, just bearing in life, um, that, that's a direction. Hmm. You know, the, the term means it's a direction. It, it's just your azimuth has been set in a, in a line of travel. Hmm. So with that, I think... Those people are the ones that succeed. It's the ones whose needle on the compass is spinning around wildly <laughs> that, uh, you know, I've, I've seen years and years and years wasted. I see them trying to escape their uh, their failure to have a plan, <laughs> I guess hmm. is the best way to put it. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's a broad spectrum out there. Now, have you tried, I'm assuming you have, but um, have you tried, you know, helping those people that, that they've lost their bearing? And and if so, uh, do you mind sharing a success or and or a failure or two? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the reality is that that's my job. <clears throat> it truly was my job in uh, firefighting. It's truly my job. Nowadays, as a uh, senior uh, paramedic, uh, of a paramedic going on, I think, maintaining licensure, something like sports years or something like that. And uh, my job is to mentor and bring up, recognize the young talent, uh, nurture that talent, feed that talent, be aggressive in encouraging that talent. And when I mean aggressive, you have to be able to be that person that's going to be that uplifting force in someone else's life. Mm. That's not easy to do sometimes because a lot of times people are uh, a little more introvert than I am. I'm a very extroverted person. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go figure. Um, <laughs> it's easy to go up to uh, an individual and say, hey, look, you have potential here. I'm interested in helping you develop that potential. Then I've had others where I've had to come along and say, listen, unless you gain 
some kind of bearing, some kind of drive, something orienting you to the, uh, you know, seriousness that this matter requires, then you're going to fail at this. And you have to be sometimes brutally loving. Hmm. And that, that an interesting term because you have to, you have to come along and be able to tell them the exact truth, their failures, their shortcomings and stuff, and tell them that, look, I am not doing this simply to single you out, but to elevate you. Hmm. Um, you for an example, I had a young man that came out of a small town in northern New Mexico, and uh, he was used to a certain degree of uh, cronyism within the fire organization. Um, he came underneath my tutelage and my supervision, and uh, he was assigned to me as a trainee. And so he went out on a training assignment thinking that just because the good old uh, boy fashion worked up where he was at, that he was going to just somehow, uh, you know, have a milk toast assignment and come through. Well, his first assignment out with me, um, <clears throat> I gave him some pointers. I told him that he needed to do things like represent himself better, more professionally. He needed to have a command presence. He needed to make sure that his appearance was that of a command person uh, and not of, uh, you know, the slouch that he was portraying. Uh, and I really, you know, snapped a knot in his ass hmm. in the after action portion of reviewing his tutelage under me. And he really took it hard. He he was he took it like I personally insulted him and was just picking on him for no reason. And the thing that was interesting is I had to clearly express to him that I said, look, you may think that I'm doing this to be cruel. You may think I'm doing this to be mean. You may think that I'm doing this just to somehow prove myself over you. I said, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I said, what you have to recognize here is I see potential in you. Mm. And if I see potential, I'm going to try to correct those things that I perceive as being a weakness in your performance. And I'm going to elevate your performance by giving you fair and just feedback and not cutting corners on this. I'm not here to win your friendship. I'm not here to do anything like that. I'm here to make you a better leader and commander. And uh, we got out of the meeting and stuff. <clears throat> and uh, my uh, counterpart that was there was like, wow, you know, that was pretty, pretty straightforward as a young man. How do you think he's going to handle it? And I said, you know, just stand by. We'll see how he handles this. Hmm. And it was unique that a year later, um, he was on another assignment. We were there and he was, uh, I think, someone else's, under someone else's tutelage. And he was talking to the crew because there had been some, oh, I don't know, uh, lack in performance or something that they were trying to discuss. And he brought up that specific lecture that him and I had had. And he said, what you have to understand is Mr. Nash isn't here to sit there and degrade you and make you feel bad about yourself. He's doing this for a very important reason. He said he's doing this in order to wake you up and see that you have the potential, but your potential needs to be molded like a piece of clay by some, uh, you know, uh, tough love, if you will. Um, but that's what it's about and what it's for. And I was really taken back that he would, uh, he had changed his view in a year, 180 degrees from being picked on to like, I got it. Hmm. Uh, I recognize what you're doing and why you were doing it. Wow. And so I would, you know, it's just those, yeah, it's one of those, um, 
episodes of paying homage to the old dog uh, from the young pup that is unexpected. And it was very rewarding to hear that. And I felt like, wow, I had really, you know, made a, an impression on the young guy. I'll bet, and, I, and I'm <laughs> pretty sure you did. I, you know, I've had my experiences oh, yeah. with with similar kinds of things, and uh, you know, you learn over. Well, I shouldn't say some of us do. You learn. Some of us learn over a period of time that exactly what you said, and we and we don't take it personally, and we we listen intently. It's like wow, because one of the things I tell uh, the few people that that I think are actually listening, it's like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and waste my breath and my time telling you this if I didn't care, you know, and, and I tell that right. to, to anybody, that's, that's it. if somebody like you, for example, Greg, um, is taking the time to have an honest, open discussion, that means that they care. They, they may not like you personally, but there's something about you they like. They're taking an active interest. Right. So don't take it personally. Open your ears and let it sink in. Go chew on it for a little while afterward and, and see what comes of it. I think that's great. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, so that's an example of success. Do you, uh, I'm sure you have plenty of them, and and I don't want to dwell on it. But do you have an example of a failure where, in spite of your best efforts, it just didn't work? <laughs> uh, yeah, I you know I think you kind of alluded to it in your previous comment. Sometimes you got to let the chaff blow in the wind. You know, yeah. uh, and there are individuals that I have uh, definitely mentored, definitely um, tried to elevate, uplift, and so on. And you can see um, a total lack of interest in what you're saying. Hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, I think the old goat in me, or, or uh, as as I was known, the old silverback in me uh, doesn't like that. And, and when I don't like that, it it focuses my attention more on uh, your mentorship because hmm. I don't like to see failure. So I would always focus more, and you know, it would be to a point that either a they got it, or b they'd move on, huh. and and they were just like, I just you know I've recognized that I'm really not interested in this. I'm really not interested in forward progression. And they would self-call. They would call themselves out of the herd. Hmm. Because the herd, the rest of the herd knew exactly what was going on. And when you get that herd mentality, then it's amplified because it's emulated through every other team member hmm. who says, this is the standard that you are held at. Do you understand? Hmm. You know, And if you deviate from the standard, consequence is consequence. Um, and yeah, it was just an environment where it was very easy to have people call themselves out of the group. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's, uh, a, a group work team environment. Uh, and that crosses the, uh, industry, both private and public sector. I mean, so it's like, it's not that the military or private security contract or anything else is unique in that. I mean, it, you know, there, there's a, it's, it's rife with it. There's plenty of it. But that's something that we see across industry. So if somebody's used to it and they thrive in it, say in the military or contracting, they can still find the same thing uh, in private industry at the civilian level. They just got to look for it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, 
you know, I think sometimes the civilian market's a little bit different because uh, in that you have more of a dog-eat-dog environment, mm. you know, because there's people out there that'll step on anyone just to get ahead. And I think sometimes that is a hidden uh, uh, trap in the civilian life. In the military life and in, uh, you know, the public service, um, public uh, protection, so on and so forth, there's a different standard there. And that's why we see the people that do what they do out there in protection. Um, they hold themselves to a different standard. And they're not usually the ones that are going to, you know, step on their brother's face to get ahead. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. And so that's a good point. And, and uh, uh, you know, I do, I do, I'm sure you've heard it a lot too. You know, uh, what uh, you said, backstabbing or something like that. But um, I know that's a refrain I hear from guys in the military often where they, geez, I missed the military because, and uh, one of the things that comes up is what you just talked about. Um, I mean, I know a guy who's got a very successful private business and he's constantly daily dismayed by that dog eat dog looking out for number one uh, that so many people are in. Um, you know, drop a dime and they'll screw you over um, and laugh about it on the way to the bank. Um, but that's that's so that's that's a stereotype, but it's fairly common, um, but not so in the. Um, types of industries that uh say you've been in is that correct like oh yeah okay yeah i was within the fire service within the ems service and within the protection service um <clears throat> those that type of attitude is very kind of short-lived if you see those if, if others witness that type of behavior of one uh, stepping on the faces of their brothers to get ahead or their sisters to get ahead. Uh, that is very uh, taboo in our culture. Right. Um, not much maybe in the business culture or whatever. I don't know because I've never experienced that uh, per se. Um, but, you know, there's more of a, a mentorship bred into the people there. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like you talk to any staff sergeant. You know, any staff sergeant will tell you the most important thing in their day is the welfare of the men underneath them, period. Mm. Period. You know? And uh, anyone that's ever been in a staff sergeant position that has deviated from that norm, uh, they don't last there very long. Mm. You know, they're, they're moved on to something else. They're moved to behind a desk. They're moved into some orientation that has nothing to do with people. Hmm. Okay. Command leadership is something that's a gift. It's it can be it can be groomed. Don't get me wrong. But command and leadership is something that is inherent in an individual uh, that may not be inherent in an individual. Okay. So um, that uh, those are not lost on me at all. But for the folks that are listening, that might think that maybe. Um, we're not being completely clear. Maybe there's like, well, what, what do they really mean? Well, for example, when you and I were talking earlier offline, um, and you can mention the person by name if you want, but I mean uh, a certain business person that, that rose to the top of the dog heap, so to speak, um, that, that, that had what you're talking about, the command and, and the uh, 
the, the leadership and and did things led by example and uh, just you know uh, tried to be uh, what's the word uh, kind gentle but just you know he just said it hey you know this is the way it is you, and you know who I'm talking about but that's what we're talking about we're, right I mean we're talking about you know <laughs> what's that <laughs> Definitely know who we're talking about. Yeah, but uh, but I'm just, but that's for example. I mean, but that's that's what we're talking when 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 we're talking command and leadership, we're talking about somebody who's, you know, and there's a lot of qualities and traits that go into um, good leadership. But I mean, you know, you can say firm but fair. You can say outspoken, but they also know when to you know kind of tone it down a little bit. But they're going to call BS when they see it. And they're going to congratulate when it's due, and they don't need to take credit for everything because they know that it took a team to do it. I mean, that's what we're talking about, basically, right? Absolutely, absolutely. If okay. you have a commander that's on the laurels of the under uh, the people beneath him, and he's sitting there taking the glory for the hard work of others, well, that's not a commander. That's not a leader. That's someone who is, you know, uh, exploiting those below. And exploitation is not a command quality at all. <laughs> it's those individuals that will elevate themselves by elevating the performance of those beneath them. Mm. And then look at it humbly and say, my achievements are based upon those of others. You know, I have given you the tools to develop and work and grow. And by that, uh, you have elevated me in the appearance of the whole group. And I think that's really important, hmm. you know, to, to take as far as the value, um, especially if you're going to be a leader, a commander, uh, you know, in any of the security work we have out there, those individuals have, that have elevated themselves have elevated themselves by showing care and concern for those beneath them, hmm. you know, it, you're you're interested in progressing progressing in uh, the security leadership. You better have that quality instilled in you. You better be able to emulate that that quality every day that you go out and you uh, you know lead your people. Hmm. And uh, it's very interesting because um, just through my experiences, I've always had that developed. I've always developed it. I've had a great understanding of it and so on. So I'll get out there and stuff. And as, you know, as doc, a lot of people want to confer with you about all kinds of problems that they have. You're kind of like the bartender or the barber. And so in there, there's a lot of information, a lot of mentorship. And a lot of the contractors that, you know, you and I talk to and you and I associate with have at some point had some degree of mentorship or direction through me whether it be in, you know, uh, how to care for themselves or a situation that's going on at home or anything like that, they would uh, seek out, um, you know, counsel with me simply, simply to gain a, a different perspective and insight and to have some uh, leadership around it. Hmm. Well, and it seems to me that... Um whether it was, you know, the person has an office and they're dressed in a white uh, uh, coat uh, with doctor at the head of it, um, or if it's um, 
uh, a field person that's a paramedic that, in my opinion, um, you know, he's, when it comes to field stuff, they're, 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 you know, it's hard to find better guys. But it seems to me that those people that you're that we're describing, talking about, um, they do have, they do sort of encompass um, all the top qualities and traits that that we look for for people in the security industry. But the, I think the key thing is that there's also part psychology and part sociology. I mean, you, you um, there, there. I mean, there is a lot of psychology in what you do, right? Oh yeah, there's a great deal of psychology. That's that's a very good point to bring up, Scott, um, because I think in um, any of the scenarios, you know, this this kind of circles back to something that you and uh, Dave Williams were talking about in the last episode. Remember, you guys were talking about verbal judo and the ability there and negotiate and to to use words in um a way that can either a be disarming they can be calming they can be distracting whatever you need to get your primary into a secure area or whatever sometimes it's that verbalization the communication that takes place that uh is the key to that the key to that success and that all comes from basically um, being able to assess the situation you're in, stop is the big part, to stop, think, <laughs> formulate, <laughs> say, and then say it in such a fashion that it is going to address the situation in a positive manner and not a negative manner. Hmm. Because a lot of times out there that I've dealt with people that have come to me with some degree of conflict. They didn't like the way I was commanding them. They didn't like what I told them, something like that. And one of the things I always found is, okay, this is how this is going to work. I always set ground. So we're going to communicate, and this is how this communication is going to happen. You're going to speak first. I want to hear what your beef is first. I am not going to interrupt you. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to shut my mouth, and I'm going to listen to exactly every single word you say. And I'm going to let you articulate your feelings and your concerns, blah, blah, blah. And you do that and you get into this and you allow them to speak. And in that speaking, you'll identify the key points that are really bugging them. Or what usually happens is they will circle back through their argument. And as they come back around, they kind of self-identify where their failings and faults were within what thing was going on, the situation that was going on. Hmm. So in that, a lot of times, after they're done talking, I can directly address their key points. It's hmm. not this banter both screaming at each other. I've already dissected what they have said and what their intent in communication is, and now I'm more accurately uh, able to answer their concerns in a fashion that they feel spoken to. You hmm. know, and all of a sudden it brings uh, resolve in issues. And sometimes I will tell you, I've had those scenarios where we have just ended up like, well, we're just going to disagree on that and we're going to have to accept that. You know, we're not going to see eye to eye on this. Hmm. So, and now would you say that happens a lot or, you know, infrequently? And, and, and I mean, how do you handle that or is there any way to handle it? You just move on? Um, 
you give it space. You definitely give it some space and some time. I think the tincture of time is always one of those things that allows the individual to go back and become introspective. Hmm. You know, the question I've always witnessed is there's always a degree of anger. There's a degree of uh, animosity. As that anger and animosity fade away, then there's all of a sudden that introspective look at, okay, what were my behaviors in this? Hmm. Or heard something that I said after listening to you that struck a bell. And now you're, you're introspectively dissecting it by yourself. And I think that's where the learning comes along. I think that's where the change happens. Hmm. You know, that's, that's really interesting uh, because uh, it, it, it harkens to an awful lot of what, uh, what uh, we've heard and, and uh, talk about sometimes fr- and, and sometimes frequently about and we mentioned it earlier, I think, uh, a little bit, but you you um, clarified it more, is that uh, letting that person figure it out on their own. And and when we say that, we're not saying just, you know, kick them out and let them, I mean, you know, sometimes that does have to happen, you know, the, the proverbial two by four to the back of the head. But what we're basically talking about is what you're saying is that letting them get it out, let them figure it out as they talk it out, and then they'll figure it out on their own. And now they've either got renewed motivation or they don't, right? You're right. Okay. And that's very true. How it works. Okay. So let me ask you, and to kind of transition to something, some stuff I want to ask you uh, from your experience. Uh, in the industries you've worked in, private security and the other industries, um, I was watching something earlier today, and and I and I thought, wow, what's some that's some great stuff they were talking about. But sensory overload, um, we 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 both know that, especially in even here in the states, you know, certain jobs uh, like what you guys what what you do, paramedics, for example, you can run into sensory overload. You know, you just see, hear, and smell so much in in such a relatively small vacuum of time that. Um, you know, you get sensory overload, and that can lead to to problems. Uh, can you speak about that? Uh, you know, wh- what have you seen and and in, uh, in your experiences? What what causes it, and, and and what can be done to fix that or help that or ease that sensory overload? Um, you know, that Scott is uh, an in, an individual thing. Uh, some people are built with a great tolerance for it, uh, the sensory overload. Um, some events will affect others. Well, it won't have the same effect on another person. But there are people that if you don't address the sensory overload, the issues become things uh, like trying to escape it. And that, that's when it gets dangerous. Because the escape of overload, you usually see them turn to some other degree of mind-altering um, escape, hmm. you know, and uh, we've—I've had you know people in the, in the, the field uh, try to escape through uh, you know drugs, and I don't mean like you know illicit street drugs or uh, you know prescription drugs. I mean they'll find things like computer cleaner and shit and start hawking that stuff. Ooh, and. You have to you have to be aware of that, and those people that you have to be able to say, "Listen, you know, this is becoming self-destructive," and in becoming self-destructive, 
we need to get you out of this scenario or you need to take a break from this scenario. And I think sometimes when we have an event like that, we have to be honest with ourselves and be able to step back and allow ourselves to um, recover, you know, to actually recover. And Yeah, I, I would agree. But do you think that most people or some people, or do, a percentage, a number, but do you think most people are, are, are aware whether they want to admit it or not that, that they've reached that point where it's like, you know, I need to take a break. I'm at sensory overload. And, and, and do they know what and how to, to solve that? Or do they need to turn to people like you and other professionals for that? Um, you know, that's a great, uh, that's a great topic right there because a lot of times they don't. A lot of times what happens, and at least I've seen this in a, a great deal of scenarios, they're felt by the peer pressure. If they fold under uh, pressure or if they show the emotion of it, uh, then they're judged by others. Um, you know, I think in our brotherhood, the circles that we run in, we are aware of things like that. So we are more apt to be able to communicate and comfort each other. Uh, versus going to external sources. Mm. Um, I've had you know, scenarios where they say, okay, you need to go sh- see the shrink and you're going to talk to them. And I can't stand that. I can't stand going and seeing the shrink because <laughs> unless they've lived experiences that I've lived, gone through the experiences I've gone through, there is no correlation between the two. And all I do is end up freaking them out and they end up freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think it's the brotherhood, I think it's the internal brotherhood yeah. That, um, oh, that's that's great. That's great, Greg. <laughs> I won't go into detail. I'll just save that for another time. But I remember uh, talking to oh god, uh, therapist, whatever you want to call them, shrink psych therapist, and uh, I remember thinking something like what you just said. It's like <laughs> one guy put it really well. He said, "You know, Scott, I went. Um, I forget how he said he had the, somebody advised that he go see a sh- uh, somebody, and he referred him to somebody who." Um, uh, had a range of background. He was, an, he was, you know, I don't remember if the guy was retired or what, but he was the former U.S. Army Ranger. But he was now a, a psychologist, therapist, you know, whatever. And he said he went to that guy because, and he said that guy was able to help him because that, because he had what you just said. There was a common bond. There was a common ground. The guy could understand where this dude was coming from, and so he was able to help him. So, do in your experience, do guys always need that or? or kind of like what you hinted at can 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 the network of guys help and if so to what extent until they've got to say hey you got to get some professional help brother oh i definitely believe that the network uh the brother that we exist in the brother and sisterhood that we exist in is far more effective than addressing than some kind of shrink and the reason i i say that and i use the term shrink i mean you know I should be a little more, have the professional etiquette, but um, I think the brother and sisterhood have a better way of relating. I think that um, we have already kind of an sixth sense when we have one of our own that is hurting. Um, And we have a tendency to try to address that. Uh, I think the short end of it uh, or the, the difficulty is having the individual who is experiencing the difficulty, the, the trauma, the psychological trauma, be able to um, 
express what they're going through and be able to communicate it without feeling that they're weak. Hmm. Right. Well, and that and that raises another thing. I mean, in your experience, I mean, how many men and women that are having issues, they, they, they recognize that there's a problem. How many of them actually raise their hand and say, hey, I need help? Very few. Right. <laughs> it has to be recognized as something else. Hmm. You know, it's one that is usually uh, identified uh, by other individuals going, whoa, this isn't working. You know, so-and-so is just, you know, they're off the deep end right now. Okay. And when I've had, I've had those people, and those people I've had to actually remove from, from the theater. I've had to tell them, you know, nope, you're done. You know, you're, if you're not going to deal with this and you've got things in the home front piling up, you've got things and issues here that's piling up, uh, then it becomes too overwhelming. And like I say, they start to seek release and stuff. And we got to be really careful. We got to be really so careful out there because sometimes people think the only means of release is, you know, suicide. Hmm. And, uh, that's, that's tragic. It, it is. And, and, uh, I won't go into details, but I mean, I, I've known a number of people and I, you know, uh, you know, in a nutshell, I say, don't talk about that around me because you know how I feel about it. I said, but I, you know, and I don't, I don't understand because I've never, I mean, it's not like I haven't thought about it, but I mean, I've never really seriously considered it. So for me, it's a, it's still kind of a foreign concept. Why would you kill yourself? But I understand that there's people that get that way. They get so depressed because whatever. And, and, and some of these people are what you and I would consider strong people. Um, so I, I try to be careful when I, when I talk about it, because I don't want to, you know, be that, that backfire force that pushes them a little bit further along that line. But when, so what, so you're saying that we normally will recognize it in them before they will recognize it. And we can probably be more effective at helping them, um, before they raise their hand, because it's probably going to be too late by the time they raise their hand, right? Yeah, I think we're more willing to identify it and speak to it than the individual. Okay, okay. You know, I, my butt or go through stuff and recognize it, and then all of a sudden go, hey, hey, dude, you know, you doing okay? Let's talk. That really got on top of you or, you know, whatever the scenario may be. But um, it's one of those things where I think it's, more frequently spoken of from an external source than an individual seeking the help. Mm. Okay. So, um, and I know that that's a very deep topic and we can go on that for virtually ever, but uh, I want to ask you uh, another thing that was, you know, because we've experienced it, sleep deprivation, for example, whether it was uh, fighting fires or, you know, working in an, uh, an emergency room or working overseas, uh, some jobs here in the States, uh, sleep, sleep deprivation can lead at some point to, uh, uh, mistakes and, 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 you know, uh, what's it things that we didn't, uh, didn't plan on. <laughs> uh, so well, can you, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, sleep deprivation, and I don't mean just because we're working long hours, but I mean, you know, just in, in some form of combination with, with the sensory overload, but you for whatever reason, that person is sleep deprived for whatever reason, they just can't sleep. Um, I mean, is that, is that one of those, um, 
what signs and signals that maybe there's something going on that this person needs help with? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one, Scott, because a lot of times in our work, and I think everyone out there worth their weight in gold in the industry deals with a certain degree of what we call hypervigilance. You, you learn how to sleep with one eye open. You know, it's hard to get that deep sleep uh, and feel safe at night and whatever the scenario may be because we're used to being on. So right there, there's the first challenge to uh, our Second of all, the, the loneliness and the, um, oh, just the, the nature of our living uh, conditions out in the field sometimes um, really contribute to sleep deprivation. And with that, that sleep deprivation, if you're recognizing that in individuals that are, you know, up at 3 o'clock in the morning smoking cigarettes on their two steps, uh, yeah, that's something to be going, okay, what's, what's going on here? Hmm. You know, um, don't get me wrong. I've met those, uh, brothers and sisters of mine or definitely brothers that could sleep through being shelled and wake up in the morning and going, Hey, how'd you guys sleep last night? They're like, dude, <laughs> we got our shit rock last night. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that spectrum, but right. yeah, I think it, you know, to answer your question, yes, it's something that you can see as one of the signs. I think more appropriately, the first sign that we really see within each other is the introvertedness. Hmm. We all see a decrease in the, uh, you know, outgoing individual. Uh, we see more of an introverted um, kind of isolating behavior. Hmm. Okay. You know, and, and so that leads me, uh, you kind of touched upon a little bit um, uh, conditions. So, you know, at some point you learn to really enjoy the little things. Like, for example, a cup of fresh brewed coffee, whether it's in the DFAC or out in the field somewhere. Um, or a good meal, which back home you might say, <laughs> you know, you might you might frown upon. But out there, I mean, a good, you know, the, the comfort things, whether it's the coffee, the cigarette, uh, the small conversation, the food, those comfort items. How important are those those things that uh, you know for the person that, that's out there, whether they're in the military or the private security sector, out in uh, an isolated remote area? Uh, huge, huge. Can't even begin to tell you how important that is. <laughs> um, Onyx photo of myself, and I don't know how. I don't know. I don't. I think I may have set the camera up or something, and it's in a of a sunrise uh, out in Nazaria, and I'm having a cup of coffee, and I'm just kind of standing over and surveying the assembly of the troops in the morning and stuff. And it's those moments where you're alone with your thoughts, having a cup of coffee, that comfort thing, that you can find as strange as it may sound, you know, the solace in a war zone. You, you can find that comfort, that, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, I don't know if comfort is it, but the um, sanity in the situation. Hmm. It brings you back to some sane moment, you know? Right. Because if you all concentrate on just the chaos that's going on around you, I think that's going to eat you up quickly. If you can't find some degree of, uh, you know, comfort and, and uh, normalcy 
that's the word I'm looking for, the normalcy of it, then you're going to definitely drive yourself nuts. Hmm. So, and so that, um, I'm guessing, would be one of the reasons why, whether we knew it or not, um, cognizantly, we may not have been aware of it, but that might be one of the reasons why the defects were such a gather. That and the gyms were such a, especially the defects though, but the get the that and the gyms, such a gathering place. I mean, very social and and food. I mean, it's it wasn't just the food. I mean, but there was more to it than just the food. But the, uh, I mean, the psychology behind it, right? I mean, the, the common gathering and uh, the, the shared experience is that part of it. Yeah, but, you know, that, that was the point of our comfort. We had food, we had warm drink, we had relative safety. We weren't out in the field having to worry about, you know, our 360 degrees. Um, so we had that ability to let it down just a little bit. Hmm. And I think that is really important to uh, identify, you know, that, yeah, the defect was that place. That de- the defect was that place. The gym was a little bit different. The gym was about getting it out. The gym was about, you know, getting your warrior mindset and uh, honing yourself and doing all that. The mm. defect was the opposite. The defect was like, you know, go home, put your feet up on the coffee table and uh, have that uh, nice cup of coffee while relaxing and watching your show. Right. Wow. Well articulated. Yeah, and for the folks, they probably know, but there's probably some people that go deep because to this day, some people go defect. What the heck's a defect? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, chow hall, right? Uh, dining facility, <laughs> okay. Uh, let me ask you, um, what uh, uh, of the things that 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 uh, you witnessed. Uh, working Oconus, um, and maybe here in the States doing emergency mer- uh, medical services stuff. Uh, what were some of the, if you want to, uh, tell us a little bit about what were some of the worst, some of the worst manifestations that you experienced and or witnessed, uh, maybe as a cautionary note or, or something else? <laughs> well, you know, um, <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't know that I want to sit here and we live gore for people. No, 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 yeah, no, no, no. Just, yeah, no, no, no. I understand what you're saying. It's uh, the things that affect you, uh, I think most, um, is that you get that uh, a complete sensory overload. Not only the sound, the visual, but the smell, all that stuff that will um, compile itself as the experience. Mm. So that when you're there, that you can still have, I mean, you know, uh, 30, 40 years later, or definitely 30 years later, still have the olfactory, the smell of, and go, I remember what that smelled like. You mm. know, and uh, I think one of the things that gets to us the most is uh, chaotic screaming. You know, to hear one of your uh, counterparts that is injured and screaming. Um, and, you know, the gore, the dismemberment, that type stuff, not so much. Um now, do you think that's do you think that's a built-in human? You know, they talk about built-in human responses. Uh, you know, that's that's hardwired into us. Do you think that's one of them? When we see that stuff, it's so surreal that it's kind of like that shock value. Our, our mind just kind of blocks it out. I mean, we see it, we know it's there, but 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 we're we're, we're not visually phased. We just is that what you're talking about? 
Yeah, I think you, you kind of, uh, you know, hit it right on the head there. Uh, what we tend to do is we tend to put our filters up. And during the event, we have a filter that's on, right? Mm. And so we are able to experience and then still maintain a rational mind of action and uh, response uh, because that's our training. And you have to train that. And you have to hone that as a skill. Um, it's not until after when that uh, uh, response, that natural response to filter the event is let down and you start thinking about it. Um, how many times have you seen this, Scott, where something goes down, you know, some event, there may be injury or something. Everyone's just hyper motivated and right on spot with, uh, you know, the event. And it's not until after the event, then you see people shaking, breaking down and really uh, recognizing that they've been affected by it. Right. Um, you know, for, and it's probably not the right one, but for, you know, lack of a better term, layman's term, uh, that adrenaline dump, I mean, it's, it's same or si similar anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Hmm. The adrenaline dump. Okay. Wow. Um, so, you know, speaking of training, you know, there, there's been a lot of stuff mentioned about, you know, instruction and training and the various types and, um, how, um, uh, in depth it should be you know and and uh what it should and shouldn't include but you know as time goes on as we're talking about it um particularly at at, at the higher forms of private security um those that immersive type of training and maybe more than just at the at the higher levels but can can those things be put into the training curriculum more, whether it's at the public service level or the private protection level, to help um, either filter out people that, you know, maybe they're not going to work out if this actually happens, um, and or give them, you know, the additional tools for that training so that they are better able to cope and deal with it should they find themselves in a position where they're in that environment. I mean, would you agree that, that perhaps there should be more attention paid to that immersive reality type training? You know, Scott, I think the military right now is doing a great job of trying to do that. Um, my experience, because I, I did a lot of, you know, live fire training and a lot of scenarios and blah, 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 where they try to emulate uh, combat. Um, and I think they do a pretty good job of it. Hmm. However, it's not until you're in the actual mix um, that, you know, when things are going down, that uh, you're going to gain the full um, effect. Right. I think you, you're best to prepare for it. I think we do a marvelous job now in the way that they have engineered a lot of their training. But I still think that when it comes down to actual events, there is so much more that is going on just because... Uh, you're required to have that switch turned on so high. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, good point. And, and I think I've heard it said uh, that, you, you know, even in the best training scenarios, um, it's, it's difficult at best to replicate what might actually happen because what happened to the, for this person where this training scenario is based on may never happen again just like that. It may, it, it may be yeah. similar, but it won't be the same. So, uh, right. okay. Okay. Um, uh, so 
so your time, do you think your time in the military served, so I think you already answered this, but your time in the military, do you think it served you or prepared you for what you eventually did as a paramedic and overseas? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my, my job was the perfect training ground for okay. that. Just because uh, in my MOS, I was that guy that had to deal with uh, the insanity of the injury, the the whole psychological end of getting that handled while the rest of me or the rest of the group uh, contended with other things. Mm. You know, the security, extraction, all that while I was being, dealing with medical. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, as time goes on, I've I've thought more and more about guys that that do what you know you do out in the field, uh, the paramedics, and you know the thought along with everything else that comes to me eventually is like, and I heard it once years ago. I only hear it occasionally. Is you know, it's easy to hurt or destroy. It's difficult to fix <laughs> uh, and repair. Uh, you guys got a tough job. Um, you know, so. I, you guys maintain a pretty tight bond with, with, with the people you work with. Um, um, that's just part of it, right? I mean, it, you, you kind of need that, that, that tight bond uh, with people when you're doing that. Oh, ab yeah, absolutely. You, like you said, you know, it's a collective, uh, it's a collective mindset. You start working as one uh, cell versus many. And uh, once you have that down in any of the, high stress environments where you're now working uh, symbiotically with the others. Uh, I think that's, you know, um, the environment we need to be in because uh, it doesn't work well to have it, um, you know, the other way around where we have independent things going on in five different directions and nothing's getting done. Mm. That's a huge expenditure of energy. And with that expenditure of energy, uh, comes at risk. Hmm. Now, you mentioned that, um, I don't think we, we talked about it yet, but when you and I were talking offline, you mentioned that uh, uh, where you're currently working and what you're doing and that you've done consulting work. Um, do So you've taken what you did overseas and what you did earlier as a paramedic and uh, um, uh, moved upward, if you will. Um, so everything that, that you've gone through, everything you've experienced, uh, kind of led you where you're at. I mean, would you say that it's worked out really well and that you're happy where you're at now? Uh, yeah, I would say that's very accurate. Um, I would say that, you know, as long as you're moving forward, I, I alluded to this earlier. I said, as long as you're moving forward, and you have some vision and some goal of what you want to be doing, and you're not afraid to sit there and challenge the norm of what you want to do. I mean, you know, for some people it works, you know, and we call those people CPAs. And uh, they want to sit behind a desk and crunch numbers, and that's the success of their life. Uh, there are others of us that are truly adventure seekers and need a certain degree of chaos within our life to um, – satisfy us hmm. to bring us that satisfaction and sometimes that comes at the sacrifice of 
being wealthy, you know, hmm. people look at me and they're like, oh, you know, you've really uh, gotten to a point now where you're comfortable. I and mean, it's like, yes, but understand, I sacrificed a lot of years of where I could have been doing something that would have provided much more income just because of the satisfaction the job gave me, hmm. you know, mentoring people, leading people in situations that are chaotic, uh, and, and teaching people how to deal with that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's, it's an individual drive, Scott, to answer your question. Some people have it, some people don't. Hmm. But it's job satisfaction at the end of the day. I mean, that's, that's why you continue to do it. And, and for somebody that, that, that's been exposed to that or wants that, um, then it's not a bad path to take. Might be a good path to take, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, no, follow your passion. If you're not loving your job, if you're not loving your life, do something else. Right. Uh, you know, it goes back to the, uh, who was he? I think he was a CEO of Wendy's at one point or something like that. And the gentleman had always just had this vision of himself working at something simple as uh, a garbage man. <laughs> And he said, really, I, that's what I wanted to do in life. I wanted to be the guy that rode on the back of the trash truck. And he was a very successful uh, CEO. And uh, it was interesting to hear that. Hmm. And uh, you know, uh, I think later on in life when he retired, I don't know if he bought his own trash truck or what. but <laughs> huh. You know, but that's interesting because uh, the simple things in life, you know, I, I commonly say that um, – you know, in my circles, when I'm when it comes up, it's you know, it's the simple things in life, um, you know, that that we learn to enjoy, uh, and, and call it job satisfaction, but it's, it's the simple things uh, that make or break us. Uh, you know, you know, some people it's the little things that, that make and break them. Other things, other people, it's the big things that make them and break them. Um, right. But it's but it's the it's those little simple things in life about the job you're doing that. Uh, like you said, out there in the middle of the sandbox or some mountain area, and you're out there having a cup of coffee at sunrise um, or at sunset, and and you're finding great solace in that, and very you know, and great peace, and uh, everything else is just you know, just that, and you deal with it, right? I mean, but but the, but that's something that's that's learned, but but those traits had to be in you. They may have had to be developed and nurtured, but they were already in you anyway, right? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let me ask uh, ask you uh, as we uh, approach wrap up time on this. Uh, you and I have been on the phone for a while before this. Um, for for the for the men and women that are listening that that uh, are thinking about this or considering it, uh, do you have a, a golden nugget, some some sage advice? Something, anything, whether it's career advice or, you know, do's and don'ts, how to do it, something you want to leave them with? Huh, boy, that's a, that's a loaded question. That's a whole, <laughs> whole, uh, yeah. yeah, and I'm not trying to get uh, rid of you. You know that. I, and and take take as long as you want to, to answer that. But, uh, you know, I mean, um, is there something you'd really like them to really ponder and consider um, or keep in mind? Yeah, there's two things that I would say. First of all, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. If 
is this what I really want? You know, you have to do that self inventory. You have to do that audit of how is this affecting you and what your visions and goals are and stuff. And then beyond that, be true to that. Be true to yourself. And, you know, I've seen so many people do this. They go into contracting and stuff and they get there. They're happy with what they're doing, but shit's falling apart at home. And we all know that, right? Mm. I mean, we've all been through that in the contracting world. That's for sure. Um, and you have to be able to find that balance uh, because there's a lot of things that I've seen people sell themselves short on, not commit to it or commit with a constant preoccupation that becomes a uh, hazard. And that hazard is going to affect them in more than just physically in some point, but mentally, emotionally, and their well-being. Hmm. Okay. Um, well stated. Uh, I want to, um, as we uh, wrap this up, I, I want to uh, just say thanks again uh, uh, for taking the time and, and making the effort to uh, uh, work with me on, on coming back, uh, you know, and I hope hope we'll have a chance to do this again at some point in the future. Uh, and please, uh, Greg, stick around if you've got a few minutes um, after at the end of the show. Um, so if you can, stick around. Um, so sure. with the, Awesome. Uh, with that said, uh, I want to thank you for tuning in uh, to a, another episode of Oconus the Contractor's Life. Uh, my guest again was uh, Greg Hesh, Doc Hesh, for making time to share his experiences with us. Thank you to all the patriots and uh, warriors out there. Thank you to all the listeners who support this podcast. Remember, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Be careful what you wish for. Stay frosty, stay safe, and until next time, keep it real.